Pacers lose again their third in a row here in Gabridge Fieldhouse to the Sacramento Kings. Halliburton's ministry strict sitting the big story, but the Pacers turn it over a ton. Can't stop the Kings in another loss. We have a lot to discuss before Philip Rossman Reich of Locked On Magic joins us to talk a trade and two ascending teams. It's all coming on a bonus weekend, Locked On Pacers. Let's do it. You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What up, y'all? Happy Saturday. Welcome into another bonus edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers, as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI. And today, as you can see or maybe hear by the different quality, I'm in Gamebridge Field. That's on the floor where the Pacers just lost a couple minutes ago to the Sacramento Kings. We're talking about it this weekend because I recorded a crossover two segments with Philip Rossman Reich of Locked On Magic about the ascending Pacers and Magic and a potential little trade thing between the two teams as well as All-Star. All sorts of fun stuff about the Pacers and Magic. But we're going to start with the Kings game that just happened before we get into that because the Kings game just happened. And it was really interesting because Pacers lose by 11. They were within nine or seven in the fourth quarter. Like if you just knew that and you just saw the game flow of the fourth quarter, I think oh, they had a chance they were in it. It was the weirdest game because the Pacers were never down more than like 15, but they never felt like they had a chance at all. They were just getting pummeled by the Kings all night in in so many ways. And it wasn't like the Knicks game where, you know, two nights ago where the Knicks dominated the offensive glass and had this clear one thing they were doing that the Pacers just were miserable against. In this case, it was the Pacers doing it to themselves, right? They had a bunch of fouls, 20 of them. They had a ton of turnovers, 21 of them. And they had a weird rotation because of Halburn's injury that really sunk them in this game because they were close enough in three-point percentage. They were better from the foul line. They were close enough from the field. A lot of stuff, you know, the, the rebounding battle was 39 each. So many things from this game suggest that you know, the Pacers could have won it. Statistically, they had their chances to do so, but they kind of did it to themselves in two ways. One is the turnovers. Big picture, this is a problem for the Pacers. 21 in this game, led by five from Tyrese Halliburton and Benedict Mather and four from Siakam. The guys are going to handle the ball and set things up for the Pacers. We're not doing that. They were not taking care of it. They were not giving the Pacers high-quality possessions, and that really hurt. And defensively, the Kings play at such a rapid pace, and they can play inside out through Sabonis, through their shooters, that Pacers had no answers for what they were doing on the other end. Even though their percentages weren't particularly high, it was just a barrage of possessions with the pace of this game. 22 for Harrison Barnes, who hit four threes. 26, 12, and 7 for the former Pacers, Sabonis, who was fantastic and ready to go after not being named an all-star. Two days ago, 25 and six steals for De'Aaron Fox, who was also fantastic. He was hitting shots. And Malik Monk was their fourth-headed monster of the night. In 27 minutes for Monk, 23 points. He always seems to play well against the Pacers. And so even if you just looked at the scoreboard, you might say, yeah, they were kind of in it. The Pacers played okay. They weren't. They played very poorly. They were ahead after the first quarter with a funky starting lineup, which we'll get to in a second. And then they just got their butt kicked the rest of the game. And a lot of it was their own enforced errors. A lot of it was poor shot selection. They couldn't make any timely plays, and it cost them a loss. And all that matters. They played very poorly. You know, there was nothing they can really hang their hat on from this game, I would say, in terms of their style or any sort of one thing that was successful. And yet none of that's the story of this game. To me or to anyone who watched it or covered it, the story of the game is their continued search for the right answers with Tyrese Halliburton's minutes restriction. This one is very strange. Halliburton, a game-time decision. And to top on that, on top of that, excuse me, Jalen Smith was out. He was a game-time decision, did not play with his back injury. Miles Turner, an ankle injury, he did not play. So that really all hurt the Pacers coming together. Halliburton was available. He was available to play on this back-to-back, which is good news for the Pacers long-term, that their star guard will be available, potentially at least on back-to-backs, 
going forward and for the rest of the season, right? They really need him to be able to play. Uh, but they didn't start him. They opted to try to change things up, right? They started TJ McConnell, who did not play against the Knicks. They started Ben Matherin, who did not play against the Knicks. They started Isaiah Jackson. They had to do that, but also he didn't play against the Knicks. Rick Carlisle on this back-to-back with the team banked up talked about them being fresh and how important that was going to be for the Pacers. And then they were trying to do Halliburton's minutes, his limit close to 22. It seems he said after the game, there wasn't like, you should watch this interview. He had very illuminating thoughts on all this, but he wasn't exactly clear about the number being 22 hard minutes, but he played 21 and a half close to the 22. He's played the last two games, but he didn't play the whole first quarter. It was very strange. He was listed as available and no one could see him on the bench. No one could see where he was. He came out just before the end of the first quarter and was on an exercise bike in the tunnel, came in right at the start of the second quarter, and then played his 22 minutes, which is what a lot of fans were clamoring for, right? They wanted him to play the last three quarters or at least spread out minutes. He could play in the fourth and be in it. I have argued the whole time that I would play him in the first three quarters if that's how the Pacers are going to manage this because the Pacers have to be in the game in the fourth for it to matter at all. And so they were playing Halbert in the fourth in this game, despite being down 15 or 17, right? They weren't in it. Now, it's funny to say all that because some of you have probably already thought or said, well, they were winning after the first quarter before Halbert came in. And that's true. That is 100% the case. They were winning by one. Their offense looked great in the first quarter with 39 points. So in theory, with three quarters of available Halbert, they should have won. But it's not just necessarily that he's playing the last three quarters. It's the ripple effects of his 21 minutes on everything else, right? Andrew Nemhard played six seconds in this game, the last six seconds of the first quarter, Rick Carlisle said he needed a recharge after the minutes he's been getting with Halliburton and McConnell out. That kind of changes the rhythm of their rotation, right? Matherin's basically playing point guard sometimes in this game. He played 37 minutes. But he played a bunch in this game, and he had a better night finally making some shots. He played 28 minutes. But they played 11 guys. Jairus Walker played in the rotation. Ben Shepard once again in the rotation. And they're just, it's hard when this is how it is, when there's one guy who has to be in at certain times and then out at certain times and in for certain quarters and out for certain quarters for guys to know their role, for guys to be used to the lineup they're a part of, for all sorts of stuff to come together. And that's really where this gets hard for the Pacers to kind of figure out. And Halliburton specifically did not help the situation in this one, right? He stunk it up. He shot it okay, 6 for 10 from the field for 14 points. He'll take that every time. He made his only free throw. But five turnovers, only one assist, that's a season low for Halbert, and that really hurt him and the Pacers. He had five turnovers. That was one of his highest of the season. One assist is his lowest of the season, the previous low being three in the game against the Orlando Magic, where the Pacers were down 40 very quickly, almost at halftime of that game. That's how poorly he played in this game, and he said so after the game, and his hamstrings bothering him a little bit, but that doesn't excuse the five turnovers. He didn't have that many in New York last night where he had energy and had some pep in his step all night. He didn't have that many you know, three days ago in Boston. It was truly a poor performance. He had a turnover right away when he came in on his first possession. So a lot of stuff the Pacers and Halliburton would like to have back. Some of it related to his minutes, some of it not. They're still trying to figure this out. What's the best way to manage his playing time? What's the best quarters to do it? Carlisle, Rick Carlisle asked after the game about it and the new minutes distribution with Halliburton coming off the bench. It's the first time Tyrese Halliburton didn't start a game since April of his rookie season. Carlisle saying, this is something we talked about last night. He was in favor of having the ability to finish the game. Uh, again, Halliburton talked about it later. And then Carlisle said more. Tonight was a shift, not an easy thing to do, obviously. The hope is that as we move along here, the minutes levels increase and that this can all fade away. But player health has to be at the top of the list of priorities. So clearly the minutes limit is about his long-term health. That's not a surprise to anyone. But it does impact the Pacers' ability to play well. One, because their star player isn't playing as much. But two, because it kind of changes the rhythm of everybody else's minutes and the rest of the game. And that's what the Pacers are trying to figure out. When does it make sense for this all to happen? And 
you're seeing the ripple effects where now Nemhard has to come in and out. And of course, with their two bigs not being available, that also hurt. So tough game for the Pacers in many ways. They played poorly. They're still figuring out this minute stuff. Halliburton played in the fourth quarter, but it didn't matter. He was a minus 15, minus 15 in a game the Pacers lost by 11. He did not play well, he'll admit it. So tough loss for the Pacers, 27 and 20. 223 now. I should know that better off the top of my head. They play Charlotte Sunday. That sh- could be a get-right game, but Pacers have already lost to the Hornets this season and are not playing well. We'll have coverage on that coming on Monday. And that's all for Pacers Kings for me. There's a lot more to dissect from this, but we'll see what happens in Charlotte, how the Pacers adjust to Halliburton's night. Now we're going to talk some Orlando Magic, which might sound strange, but it's a little bit of trade talk, a little bit of talk about two ascending teams in the playing range and much more with Philip Rossman-Reich of Locked On Magic. Let's just hop right into that conversation. Hey guys, short little break here. Have to talk to you about the level of people over at Prize Picks, the largest daily fantasy sports platform in North America, where it's simple what you do. You pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections and watch your winnings roll in, for example. Steph Curry, more than or less than 29 points. Nikola Jokic, more than or less than 10 rebounds. You can do that for two to six players with similar lines to that every night. It's an absolute blast. You can do their specials leagues for a little while longer uh, with their combo football basketball leagues. For example, a combo of Travis Kelsey plus LeBron James at 10 and a half three-pointers made plus receptions. You can play alongside their celebrity players like rapper Meek Millen, comedian Andrew Schultz, and they have a reboot policy. So if your player's get hurt. You can stay in the game. You've got to check it out. Go to pricepicks.com slash LockdownNBA and use the code LockdownNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, that's pricepicks.com slash LockdownNBA with the code LockdownNBA for a first deposit match up to $100 at PrizePicks Daily Fantasy Sports Made Easy. And we are joined now by the host of Locked On Pacers, our good friend, Tony East. Uh, Tony, uh, how's it how's it going? Uh, how are you feeling a week out from the trade deadline, or yeah. le- less than a week now than the, from the trade deadline? And he's buzzing. Pascal Siakam's a Pacer. The, the All-Star weekend is here. That's in right. Like two weeks. Free agency just started for the WNBA, so the Indiana Fever doing stuff. It is uh, quite the time for pro basketball here in Indianapolis. It, it is, and, it, and, and we're all obviously, you know, we're recording this before the official announcement's been made, uh, but all, but we will certainly have all our eyes on Indianapolis here in in a couple of weeks. Um, you mentioned Pascal Siakam, and, and so I want to I want to start here before we dive kind of into the meat of the trade deadline tour here uh, that I'm doing for the Magic. Um, the move to get Pascal Siakam um, it was obviously a huge one. Siakam's a, a former a former All Star, you know, one of the more impactful players that was expected to be available on this trade market. The, the big question that I have, you know, because, you know, we'd actually like to compare and contrast kind of where teams are at on the development scale. And, and uh, you know, I would say, you know, the Magic are kind of having the season the Pacers had last year. You know, they're starting to break in. They're kind of figuring out their identity uh, and, and figuring out how to win more consistently. Um, obviously, there's some injuries that kind of kept the Pacers from making the making uh, making the, the postseason last year. But um why was this the time to push those chips in and go get that star player in Pascal Siakam? I think a couple things matter here. I think the first one is the contractual alignment of the Pacers. Like now was a very convenient time for them before some of their guys get expensive, before they're capped out. And they could have maybe signed Siakam as a free agent, but that's not a guarantee. And that still involves losing some similar players. So, if you do it now, you guarantee to get him. You increase your chances of keeping him. And that's all great. They were really set up to make a big trade either this year or next season. But next summer, they would have run out of time. 
But the biggest reason is simple, and this is what the Magic will likely run into next year to me, and it's that Tyrese Halbert went from being, this guy's pretty good, you know, he's an all-star, he's like a top 20-25 player, like, oh, <laughs> geez, Louise, this guy's unbelievable, like he could be a guy on a very, very, very good team. Now, I would say he was playing at a top 5-10 to 10 level for the first two months of the season before his injury. Some people would say 10-15, to 15, that's fine. Very good player, right? Obviously very good and only 23. When you realize you have that for the next six years under contract, you now know that you're going to be good for a while. You would like to be make that better, right? And so it made sense all of a sudden for them to say, eh, being pretty good you know, is fine, but we can be great now and we can be great for this whole time and we can do it while still keeping all of our young guys and a lot of firsts who still trade in the future. We should do that. And Siakam's a perfect fit. They needed four desperately. They needed someone else who could handle the ball and score when Halliburton was, wasn't healthy, which when they made the trade conveniently for what I just said, he wasn't. It made a ton of sense and he's been a wonderful fit so far. He just got uh, a nominee as we're speaking for a uh, player of the month in the East for January. So clearly uh, already standing out within the, in the new uniform. Yeah, and and it it feels like finding that that right moment to to go for it. And and I mean, can we really say you know Indiana expended some draft capital? You know, Bruce Brown was a big contract. You know, everyone kind of looked yeah. kind of side eyed when they signed that big contract. It was very much no, no, no. It's a two. It's like a short term deal. It's a lot of money up front. But like I I know I tell my listeners this also all the time. Like re signing players is a much about filling out the salary slot and having that contract to yes. to, be, to move around. As much as it is about getting that player, obviously you don't want to maybe do a four-year, twenty-five million dollar deal, you know, twenty-five per deal with someone who's not going to start for you. That that handcuffs you, but uh, but you know you want to have those those pieces on the chessboard to move. And and obviously I think Indiana set themselves up really well. I you know they're honestly still set up to make another big move, which we'll we'll, we'll dive into a little bit here uh, in a moment. But kind of coming to that realization uh, of how good Indiana is this year. This year, um, how much, you know, let's talk about Tyrese Halliburton. Obviously he's going to be starting in the all-star in the hometown all-star game. Um, how, but you know, immediately his impact was felt in Indiana, but how, how did the thought process change as this, this organization, this franchise began to realize what Halliburton is and can be with, with the system they've set up around him? Yeah, it was interesting. Cause like, you know, the action of them, their belief in him was, here's all the money, right? Like this is literally everything we can give you in the easiest way for you to make as much as possible. Clearly they thought he could be this good. The thing that stands out about the, that belief is a lot of players that, you know, weren't established stars necessarily, but were like psyched to play with him because of what it means for them, right? Let's, let's just looking at some Pacers examples of recent years, Aaron Neesmith, you know, can't crack the rotation in Boston, Comes to play with Tyrese Halberton. Oh, wow. This guy's pretty good. Jalen Smith in Phoenix, not playing. Comes to Indiana. Oh, he's pretty good. Miles Turner got better with Talberton as his point guard. Obi Toppin is now better or looks better playing in this Indiana system. There's even more than that. But that is, it's not just that he's fantastic, which he is. It's that everyone else by default becomes a more efficient or more useful player because of how kind of cerebral and talented he is. So it makes you more confident in your timeline when you know that you can take risks with your other players or you know that anyone you get will be close to the best version of themselves offensively. So they knew they were going to be good, right, already. They were 23-18 and 18 last year before he got hurt and missed that whatever it was game stretch where they immediately lost eight in a row and lost control of their season. Like, the signs were already there. And so this year, 
when they just steamrolled everybody in the end season tournament and beat Boston twice and beat Philly twice and beat Milwaukee four times, like the top, the Cavs twice. The top of the East has been nothing to them. The bottom of the East <laughs> has been quite the problem for the Pacers for some reason, but the top of the East is no problem. You know, when you see that ceiling without a Siakam, when you see that ceiling with one guy who can elevate the rest of his teammates, you know, it's there. And to like apply that to the magic, like Franz is really great. Paolo's amazing. You know, I loved Anthony Black in the draft. I had him top five. I'm a big Anthony Black believer. Once you know, and I think they know now, but once they know, yeah. know that like, yeah, these guys not only fit with each other, but can like elevate the talent around them. That's when it's time to like go, go for it and not just get the complimentary pieces. And I think Jeff Wellman's a great, <laughs> great exec. So I believe in their timing ability, but that was kind of the big swing timing for the Pacers. Yeah. And, and I think that's, you know, you, you really hit, I think what the debate is internally for the magic, because obviously, you know, I've been telling everyone this, that they're not making any moves or any trades right now that are meant to save this season. Like, right. the, like I said, the magic have had, uh, I don't want to say the same season that the Pacers had as last year, but, but very similar. They got off to a really hot start. They're kind of the it team in the league. They hit the middle of the season. You know, obviously there's a Halliburton injury. The magic faced a lot of injuries, not, not you know, for Franz Wagner, it's about eight, nine games. Um, and then they kind of hit the swoon and they're hovering around 500. You know, I, I feel they're pretty safe to make the play in tournament at the least. The seven, yeah. eight game feels like it's going to be the thing for them. Um, but, but, you know, they're, they're, they're now trying to figure out how do we get back to that high that we had early in the season and, and how much of that is about patience and letting our young guys develop and continue to get better. And how much of it is, do we need to go out and externally get something do we need to get something for this year to ensure our spot or, you know, or, or accomplish our goals or, or how do we add something that not only helps us this year, but helps us for the next two to three years. And, and we're going to get into one of those potential players here in a minute, but I know one thing that I'm, I'm really obsessed with. And, and one of the reasons why I, I love the Pacers and, and, and I, and I do feel simpatico here a little bit. Um, it feels like the magic, the Pacers, and I'll go ahead and throw the Cavs in there too. Uh, although the Cavs are a little bit older, more experienced, it feels like this is kind of the future of the East. Um, we know Milwaukee, Boston, Philadelphia are still that that top three. What do our teams have to do to kind of break into that group? And and you know, obviously the Pacers made the Siaka move with that with the intention of doing that. But what is kind of the next step for these teams to break into and challenge the elite elite teams in the Eastern Conference? Uh, can they combine rosters? <laughs> That'd be, that would be really helpful. Like, <laughs> can we go, can we Voltron this? <laughs> yeah, that would be perfect. You know, it's, it's funny thinking about the magic and Pacers because first of all, the magic have been the Pacers kryptonite this season, which yeah, is like the hilarious. I mean, they, they, <laughs> yeah. Smoked them twice. So the magic are funny to me in that they, they're, they're similar to the Pacers in an opposite way. The Pacers are best offense yikes on defense and the magic are like you can't score on us but we can't score either right so in that way they're opposites and that is kind of the separator to me from them and these top teams in the east is that the magic are elite defensively which is going to keep them at a good record and keep them as a threatening and good team in the east Pacers are a great offense same thing they these teams can beat anybody because of their elite thing any night that doesn't mean they're going to win because they also stink at, at the other side of the ball Whereas, I mean, Boston's an exception because they're one of the best. Boston's teams. just Boston. I mean, they're top two in both, but you know, even the Bucks are you know top three in offense, and their defense isn't great, but it's you know top twenty. The Sixers are top, I believe, ten in both offense and defense. The Cavs are 
approaching top 10 in offense and are now like third in defense, right? Like you have to be there on both ends to be in that category of team. I think the Knicks are close to top 10 in both as well. So that's where the Pacers and Magic need to go next is adding the talent or making the slight tweaks to become really good or at one and kind of good at the other or pretty good at both or whatever it takes to be, you know, a team that if your offense isn't there some nights, you can win the defense in Indiana. Or if your defense isn't there some nights, you can have the requisite scoring to find a way to win as the Magic, right? The Pacers win a lot of games 139 to 133. The Magic win a lot of games 102 to 97, right? But they don't have the opposite formula in their DNA. That's what I think both of these teams need to go from, oh, here they come, to like, okay, here they are. And, and, and honestly, like, and this is why I've been pe- preaching patience with, with my listeners. I don't know if you feel the same way. This is honestly why I think it's really important for both of these teams to get to the playoffs and be in a seven-game yeah. series against these elite teams because they're going to show you exactly where your weaknesses are. The things that you think are strengths may not translate to the playoffs. Like I, I have concerns about the Magic's defense a little bit in the playoffs just because of the way that they play and sometimes how they give up threes. Even like a player like, like Tyrese Halliburton, who's never been in the playoffs, you're going to see how – a team defends him differently in the playoffs and that's going to teach him, Oh, this is what I need to get better at. Oh, they were targeting me on defense. uh, When I was on defense, I need to get better at that to get to this level. And so I I always like, this is obviously an exciting time. There's, there's a lot of, a lot of rumors going around. Both of these franchises are, are, are on the uptick and we both, I think recognize the areas that they, that they need to improve um, and, and are just looking for the opportunities to do so. But it's still about learning what your team actually needs. And it's it's still a, in my opinion at least, it's as much as we want these short-term rewards, it's it's still a process. And it's still a, you know, like again, the Denver Nuggets should have taught us all of this, should have taught all us all of this. It's not, you know, you don't necessarily get a quick hit championship. A championship can be a five, six, seven-year journey to get. And now the Nuggets are set up for the next three, four years to, to be to be contenders. Yeah, they um, and they identified the perfect fits too, which is I feel like we kind of we're about to talk about with one specific yeah. player. Aaron, Aaron Gordon, as you know, is exactly what they needed the four, right? KCP, exactly what they needed the two, and they just slowly from playoff failures figured that out, right? So perfect fit. Continue. Sorry. One more break here, guys, so we can talk about the lovely folks over at FanDuel. Happy Super Bowl to all who celebrate. The big game is getting close and FanDuel, america's number one sports book is the way to go if you are like me you're going to be on super bowl sunday sitting on the couch grabbing your favorite football snacks hanging out with your friends and for some of you that will include placing some super bets on FanDuel. they have so many ways for you to end your season with a w two three four w's however many you're getting into not only can you bet on who will win super bowl 58 but FanDuel also has bets for which players will score a touchdown or how many total points will be scored and so much more new customers join today on FanDuel. You'll get $200 in bonus bets. If your first bet of $5 or more wins, how about that? $200 in bonus bets. But for that offer, you got to go to FanDuel.com slash lockdown and sign up. That's FanDuel.com slash lockdown. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports book of the NFL. Let's let's dive into to one of the reasons that that I wanted to have here because because Indiana definitely still has one more big move in them, and 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 if they're you know the East feels you know at least a month ago it felt pretty compact four through eight now it's a, now there's a little bit of separation and Indiana finds themselves you know in sixth spot which is where you want to be 
trying to climb back into that, that, that race for home court advantage, they, they still have one more big chip to play this season in Buddy Heald. And undoubtedly, you know, obviously when the report came out just before the season started that Heald and the Pacers didn't come to an extension and he was looking for a trade out, everyone, you know, everyone started connecting the magic to them because the magic have some, some assets that they can move. They obviously have the shooting need. I want to start here. Where do things stand with Buddy Heald? Is that still a, a chip that the Pacers are looking to play here in the next week? I don't know if Magic fans have seen this clip, so I'm going to cite something before I answer okay, the question go for perfectly. It. Tyrese Halberton, like once or twice a week, streams himself playing video games on, on Twitch or whatever. And someone jokingly in his chat right before the Pacers season said, Ty, Buddy got traded. Have you seen this? And Tyrese said, I would know if Buddy got traded. And then he impersonated what Buddy Heald would say to him on a phone call if he got traded to the Magic specifically. <laughs> and it was extremely funny that he specifically said the Orlando Magic. Can't believe they traded me the Magic. It was so funny. Um, so here's the thing. I think some of the reporting about Buddy Heald before the season was just slightly, slightly too aggressive, right? So they, they couldn't have yeah. gotten to the resolution that they did and got reported if the Pacers didn't offer Buddy Heald an extension. They would not know that they were apart on talks without doing that. And offering someone an extension means you want them on your team. You like them and value what they can provide to you long-term. Now, Heald can still be extended through June 30th, but it's, you know no one's dumb. Like in eight days, the Pacers lose all the power, right? They can't yep. trade him anymore. They he has Buddy Heald is the only guy who can sign the extension. So obviously they have to think about moving him. I'm not saying that there's no chance it happens, but I think that that relationship is tighter than most people think, given what the reporting felt like before the season, that it was like, well, if he's not signing, we got to trade him. Chad Buchanan, yeah. their GM. And and, I'm not like, saying you said that, but like, no, 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 no. And, and like, I, I say this to people all the time too, like just be, just because, you know, everyone has gotten so much into this transaction brain where a guy's about to become a free agent. You have to trade him for something. And it's like, well, no, sometimes, Sometimes a releasing the money is okay too. And sometimes there's just nothing out there worth, worth taking back. And right. you know, it, you know, the, the trade deadline to me is always about buyers and sellers. There's, there's teams that are looking to add something and teams looking to sell something. The Pacers are buyers. They're not looking to just sell healed for nothing. They, they right. want, they got to get something in return. You know, the magic are dealing that with that a little bit with Markel Fultz, who's going to be a free agent as well. This summer doesn't really seem like he fits the plans, but the magic need a point guard really bad too. And so if you're not going to give them someone better, they're not going to, they're not going to trade him either. They'll, they'll, they'll eat the loss. It, it exactly. is. Like, and then there's, and then I think everyone forgets about this part too, because we've all played 2k um, and we played, you know, fantasy sports for our entire lives. There, these are human beings too. And, you know, buddy healed, if he's really close with Tyrese Halliburton trading him mid season, even if you understand that's a business, that can hurt the team in the short term too. Yep. And you're still trying to win this season, even though you might be thinking about the next two to three years or, or what's going to happen in the off season. So yeah, I mean, I, I I'm, I'm right with you on that. So the other new value for the pay, I'd even say this is the case for the magic with full tonight. Guess Gary Harris also, right. He's expiring this year. I believe. Yeah. You know, is the value changes a little when you have a really good chance at some form of postseason play, because not only do you have to, I mean, yeah, you get a long-term asset. Maybe that's appealing to you, but you lose what they give you for this stretch run and in that postseason play, right? Like yeah. that matters. And so it's not just like trading them away because they're expiring. It's you're also trading away what they actually provide your team the rest of this season, right? And so the value has to be high enough to not care about that or like 
a long-term salary that fits that I, I I've said a lot of stuff that makes that says like, Oh, it sounds like they've keep him. I don't know. It still does make a lot of sense for them to, if they did trade buddy healed, like he's their third, fourth guard. Now they have a lot of other young guards. So if they, they can get like a longer term contract guard in that slot, I think that would make a lot of sense for them because they're going to think about the luxury tax next year after the Siakam trade. Right. So it's certainly not like, I'm certainly not ruling it out. Um, by any stretch and it's just hard to figure out exactly what his value is with only three months till he's a free agent in theory he fits on any team because he's a really good shooter but there is a rental aspect to it his defense is not very good right so I think he in theory fits everywhere offensively but if the Pacers do think well we do need to think about moving him I'm not sure what the value actually is or where it exactly would land yeah, and, and and like this is, I mean, this has generally been my response whenever someone suggests Buddy Hill because look, the fit for the Magic, like it, you know, the defense aside, is really good. The Magic need a guy who's going to take eight or nine threes a game and make three of them. Um, they just don't have then make three and a half of them a game. They don't have guys like that. Like the the Magic are the worst three point shooting team in the league. If they can get someone, and and it's not even about the percentages anymore. Like I tell people, take the threes. Get, take take, the, take. It's not even just about taking the threes. It's the defense thinking you're going to take <laughs> yes. the threes and being yes. worried that you could suddenly have a five three point night and score thirty points on them right. without even thinking. Like the like honestly, like if you go down the Magic's roster. You know, Franz Wagner's had a down three-point shooting year, but he's shooting 40% in his last 10 games since coming back from injury. Uh, Paolo Bancaro's up around 35%. He was like uh, 33 if you take out January and February. Or take out February when he was one for 18. He was sub-30 last year. Jalen Suggs is up at 38%. Joe Ingles is shooting a little bit south of 40%. The Magic have guys who are by the numbers shooting threes and shooting better than they did in previous seasons, but they're not shooting enough of them. And yeah. are missing the majority of them still, that defenses are just like, whatever. Like Joe Ingles makes two threes in a game. That's not going to kill us in the long run because you're not going to make enough threes. So like for me, like everyone talks about Marco Fultz and how he compresses the space, which he does. But I'm just, I just tell them like, it honestly doesn't matter if Mark Hell's in or if Cole Anthony's in, they're going to treat them like they're non-shooters because they're not a big enough threat. So you know, getting a guy who is going to take, if you give him the minutes, will take 10 threes a game and be a threat to make four or five of them two out of every three nights, that changes your offense. And, yeah. and that's, you know, that is something the Magic are missing to, to make their offense at least average beyond even just good. I think you um, fit very, I think you fit very well for all the reasons yeah. you just you just laid out. And but to like, especially with Paolo becoming a better creator and guy with the ball, right? Like anywhere with a good passing guy who dominates the ball, Buddy Hield's gonna be just nice and snug to slide him in. Uh, there is a challenge to a Pacers yes. Magic trade with Buddy. There Hield. is. There's that two of them. Matching salaries are. That, that, that's the first one. The other one is we're very competitive. We're very competitive, and you don't want to help your you don't want to help your direct competitor. That's true. I didn't even think <laughs> like, about that. I, I know. I know. Like I know. Like people go crazy about divisions and like. Whenever someone pitches me a trade from Miami, it's like Orlando's never helping Miami. Like we're not, we're not, we're like Pat Pat Riley can call. We're not picking up, and and I'm pretty sure he would do the same for Jeff Waltman. Like there, there's still some of those simmering rivalries, right. but like why would? I mean, we got to talk about it. it. There is something that makes sense, like stylistically, and we'll get to the salary bit here in a minute. But why would Orlando and Indiana help each other when they're fighting for the same thing? Right. It's it's. You know, that was the risk of Milwaukee trading Drew Holiday to Portland because the minute they traded Drew Holiday to Portland, I was, I was thinking to myself, 
Drew Holiday would be a great fit in Boston. And if, if Boston doesn't make that call, they're idiots. Um, but they never get him out of Portland. They never get him out of Milwaukee because why would those two teams talk? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's definitely a good part of it. And maybe if it's just like expiring and some tiny stuff, they don't care that much. But I don't know why yeah. the Pacers would necessarily. Yeah, and, and uh, like this, and this is this, and like you're, like you said, this is the challenge. So Buddy Heald is making uh, nineteen point three million dollars this season, expiring contract. The Magic just don't have a lot of salaries at that level. Um, Jonathan Isaac is the big one at 17.4. Markel Fultz is at 17, but you know, I'm sure Indiana, you know, Indiana is still kind of now kind of loaded at forward, um, with Pascal Siakam. So maybe there's some duplication there. Um, Markel Fultz probably doesn't fit what they do since he is not very big offensively. And then you just get to, you know, Gary Harris at 13 million expiring, you know, you know, so maybe you could do Gary Harris and Shima Okeke, but like, does that really help Indiana? Like, both long-term and short-term? Why, why not just try and keep Buddy Heald at that point? Yeah, I think the only thing that makes any sense, there's two things that would make sense, I guess, would be if the Pacers really like Chumo Kiki, surprise, that would, st- that would surprise me. Or if it's somehow Isaac and like Obi Toppin goes somewhere else, but that's a big risk for, as you know, lots of reasons with Jonathan yeah. Isaac. So it's a lot of, I mean, it's a big, honestly, it's a big risk both ways because, <laughs> yeah, you know, because, because Isaac, I mean, Isaac's got the health issues, no doubt about it. Um, but when he plays, he's really good still. Like he is still a defensive player yeah. year, a level player when he plays. It's the, when he plays part, that's tricky. And it, it makes it hard for me to leave the magic or even entertaining offers for him, even with how favorable his, his contract is. I think Gary Harris and uh, Caleb Houston might actually be enough salary, which it it gets you close. Gary Harris is 13. Caleb Houston is two. two, So that's 15. That's that's close. Barely. Jet Howard might, you know, Jet Howard's not playing for the magic right now. Oh, the Patriots will take a lottery pick. Yes. I don't, I don't think the magic are ready to trade him. Yeah. They shouldn't be that, you know, that or Chumo KK, who's, you know, 5.3 5.3 million this year restricted free you get his restricted free agent rights yeah um you know that that gets you close but yeah you, you know this is i've been telling everyone this too like part of the magic's problem is they don't have the salaries to match for some of these bigger deals and yep. you know I, i've been telling people this with buddy healed specifically okay you want buddy healed how much do you want to pay him this summer like are you ready to give you know what is he 30 you know he's 31. in his 30s 31, 31. Yep. um are you ready to give a 31 year old, a four year, $112 million deal or something, you know, some, some, you know, are you ready to pay him 20 to 25 million a year for the next four years? And and I don't think he's going to take the Weltman special where everything's front loaded. Um, the magic have the cap room to do it. And and on top of that, the magic have the cap room to go out and sign him this summer if they want him anyway, like why give up something of value to get him? Yeah. A three teamer might be the answer here, right? Where, Someone who likes Chuma or likes Caleb Houston or whatever, or really needs Gary or has Harris something that Indiana wants because like yeah, that's, yeah, that's or, the other problem. Orlando's so defensive minded, which Indiana needs, but right. they still need some guys that are going to score. And and I don't think Orlando is in the position to give up anyone that can score right now. <laughs> exactly. So maybe like someone who's trying to dump long term money, like Atlanta or someone else, yeah. could be the natural third team, but. I'm not in the business of uh, constructing giant three team trades. I, 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 whenever someone pitches me a three team trade, I usually just reject it hot out of hand and say, the the you add a third team, the the more teams you add to a deal, the less likely they become because trades are already hard to do. And yeah. and look, like this this exercise is not meant to be 
a negotiation or, or, or an evaluation of a trade. I, I'm I'm big on Phillips let's holding find, me hostage, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> yes, blink twice, if, blink 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 twice to let us know you're okay. Um, uh, I tend to say like let's find a framework for a deal. Let's find like the basics of a deal. We can you know we'll let the executives fill in the details. There right. is maybe a framework here, but not a particularly strong strong one. I would say like like of of the trade deadline tour that I've done. Washington with Tyus Jones probably had the strongest framework to make something happen. Um, it, it it doesn't feel like there's there's much motive you know much motivation for either team to to make this happen because at the end of the day, you know whatever the Magic are offering, unless they're putting someone unexpected in there. Um, and, and and the other part of this, maybe we should mention this. Cole Anthony actually uh, goes out as a bigger salary than. Uh, then he comes in yes. because of his extension. But um, so maybe th- th- that's someone you could throw into the mix too. But um, but it doesn't seem to make sense for either team to give things up. And at the end of the day, the Magic are the ones getting the best asset. And, and look, I, I think Orlando is open to trading their first round pick. They've got this really heavily protected 2025 Denver pick if they need some sweeteners. Um, but I just I don't think there's a lot of motivation for Indiana and Orlando to help each other out. There's There's nothing that just makes such perfect sense for each team to, 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 to pull, pull something out. I agree. I think, I think we've yeah. nailed this one. Even if there are players that make sense on both teams separately, there's not a deal that is, is there. I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. That's, the, that's the way it goes sometimes. That's how these things go. Um, but you know, I, I, I will continue to say this, I think, and I think this is the case for both of these teams. Like it, this year might be a little bit more important for Indiana than it is Orlando, but I, I still get the I, sense so. that, yeah, I, I get the sense that both teams are thinking of a two to four year window more than a one year window. They're not like all their eggs aren't in this basket. And so I think it's really important to remember with all of these things that we're talking about the deadline, things do carry over to the offseason. And there's still a chance to do a lot more heavy lifting in the offseason when teams maybe aren't held prisoner by the teams they have now and and the situations they're in standings wise. Like you catch a team after disappointing playoff series when they're like this, we've gone as far as we can go. You're not going to catch that team in February making that ex- unless it's right. Chicago, which you know, it's Chicago. <laughs> any chance to clown the bulls I'm in any chance to clown the bulls. Well, we're, we're, <laughs> we, we are our, our whole roster, the whole Orlando magic roster exists to clown the bulls at this I point. Think about that. That's um, very true. Uh, Tony, I, I want to thank you for, for jumping on here and, and chatting a little bit about Buddy Heald and, and where the Pacers stand. Um, it, it's obviously we, we will be chatting. We might be chatting in April, uh, hopefully hopefully <laughs> right. after game 84 instead of game 83. Um, but uh, we might be we might be chatting in April. But tell everyone, tell all my listeners where they can find you if they, if they want to keep track of the Pacers. You know, one of my favorite teams to watch and one of the up and coming teams here in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, locked on Pacers for the the daily info like you can get from Philip about the Magic. Um, and they're not like lighting it up for 140 every night anymore. They've they've tweaked their team a little bit and it's made them better, but still an extremely fun offensive team. And Tyrese Halburn's back healthy, so lots of good stuff over in Pacerland. Yeah, but of course we will all have our eyes on Indianapolis here in a couple of right. weeks. I love Gamebridge Fieldhouse, one of my favorite stadiums in in the league. Uh, uh, I love the Circle City as well. Uh, Tony, uh, thanks for jumping on. And and as always, we will see you in Eastern Conference Finals. Can't wait.